Welcome to the Alfalfa Podcast. We're in the studio. What's good, boys? We're in a studio. The, the We're pre, in a studio. The pre-studio. We're <laughs> in the waiting room. This is like mezzanine financing. Yeah. <laughs> Bridge loan. But this is big. This has been a long time coming. We're one step closer to the studio. We're one room. We're one room away. One room closer to the studio. Yeah, yeah. You won't know the difference when you see it later, but we're basically sitting in the in the living room area of our studio. Um, but we're really excited because this has been a long time coming. And um, yeah, if you're new to the podcast, can you just allow me to reintroduce ourselves? Is that okay? Only yeah. if you do it in Jay-Z lyrics. Z- <laughs> <laughs> I was like, did he do that on purpose? <laughs> uh, no, it just kind of flowed out. I mean, so we are four radically moderate entrepreneurs and investors. And uh, every week we're uncovering the latest alfalfa in money and life. And we do this episode, we do this podcast twice a week. We're 100 and what, 30, 25 episodes in. A um, little over a year of doing this. And yeah, it's been an amazing journey alfalfapod.com. If this is your first episode listening, take a look at the backlog, hop in with us in the Discord. A lot of good calls in the backlog, actually. Yeah, a lot of good calls. Subscribe to the YouTube. We're going to be doing these hopefully live soon. So what you're watching right now on YouTube or on Spotify, we'll hopefully be live streaming this uh, every Wednesday is our uh, is kind of our selected day. We'll see how it plays out. But um, yeah, we love and appreciate you guys being here. So today... We're going to be doing, uh, we're skipping our macro talk to kick this off. We're going to be doing our alfalfa round, and then we're going to focus the majority of our discussion on what's going on in the world of finance. Obviously, there's been an absolute shit show this last week with uh, USDC, with SVB, with the markets in general, and the uh, bank runs that were about to uh, unfold that, thank God, the uh, Fed stepped in to backstop SVB and not allowed to happen. So we're going to dive into all of that. Um any other announcements? Oh, I have one. I'm drinking uh, Dry Farms wine. Shout out to Dry Farm Wines. They sent us another box. Really, really cool company. So um, you can subscribe. Use our link. It's in the description below and alfalfapod.com. And uh, yeah, they basically give you like a curated box of wine that is extremely uh, low sugar. Uh, it's basically hangover proof wine. What are, what are we drinking today? Yeah, let's see here. We've got the an Austrian Zug, red. Grube Roschitz. It's a 100% Zweigelt <laughs> from Nero de Steig Apologies region. to all the German fans out there. <laughs> First of all, <laughs> I think they're flattered that I even tried. That's Austrian. You're welcome, Germany. It's Austrian, you sir. Got, yeah. you, got, you got some great comments about your Arnold oh impersonation. God. They speak German in Austria. Sure, yeah. but you know. I got a lot. Of, I did get the a lot of comments. The best comment is that. like, the bro just casually nailed the Arnold impersonation. <laughs> but I mostly just got told off for making a general statement, which yeah. is great for the YouTube algorithm. Yeah, it could be a growth hack. Yeah. Or just be wrong all the time. Just be wrong. Yeah, yeah, they be they wrong. don't execute you in Austria for throwing eggs, apparently. Yeah, apparently not. Weird. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's, uh, let's dive in. Any other announcements? I think that's it. Cool. Let's do it. You want to kick off, Nick? With yeah, some? so uh, I got a... Quick smattering of things for Alfalfa Round. The quick first quick one is I um, went long Bitcoin short ADA. It was like two weeks since I actually talked about it. I find I get these like uh, I have an idea and then I just get like stage fright. Like I I don't know. I could just dilly dally around it and don't get to it. Procrastinate. Anyway, I finally got around to it um, yesterday. Today's Wednesday, so I got it on Tuesday. I got in around the ADA BTC ratios around fourteen hundred Sats. I did 50K long, Bitcoin 50K short ADA. And I realized like, if you don't use leverage, these 
like spread trades are just kind of boring. Yeah. So yeah. also on that, when you enter a trade like that, do you go like, is that your full allocation to that trade or are you sort of tiptoeing into that one? I tiptoed a little more today. I added another 25K on the ADA short. But uh, Stephen, when you do these, are you usually using, like you're levering up your actual equity principle to make them interesting, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. So that's what I, I think I need to so maybe find some points. If you're using to, like a decentralized exchange, I think the way to do it is like if you have like an account that has all your cash in it, then you would transfer it to a, a different wallet that you want to lever up and then use that wallet. Right. I mean, the, the, this is like a trade. It's not a right. Investment, this is like a maybe. Right? I think it's like a one to two month thing. Yeah. Maybe. So whenever you're making a trade and you're not just buying and holding something, you always want to be aware of like, what am I risking? That's always the first question. Like, how much am I willing to risk if this trade goes awry, especially if you use leverage, right? So step one is like, how much do I want to risk? And then step two is to kind of look at the, the price, look at the chart. I assume you've done some analysis yeah. and go like, okay, where am I definitely wrong on this trade? And then you sort of work the math backwards, right? Where If the price goes to there, how much do I lose? And then you just lever up the trade size so that you lose, if that amount is like a thousand bucks or five thousand yeah. or whatever, you just lever up the trade so that when you get the when you get the fuck out of dodge, that's that's what you lose. So that's that's how you want to be thinking about trades versus investments. Like investments, it's like you're you're holding it forever. You're, you're you believe in it for a particular reason. There's no funding rates usually. All this stuff that applies to trades. So yeah, these just, trades are where I get the uh, so what gun about, shy. What about the idea of um, like leverage because you could use more principal versus using more leverage to to get the same risk in dollar terms. Well, I like, think like it's kind of like real estate. You want to use a little leverage to get a higher return off your principal. Right, so, but you could go 100x on these things. Like how much leverage well, do Well, I think it typically depends on your liquidation price on your short. So on the short side to me. Yeah, leverage for me is like I trade 20x leverage all the time when I trade. That's what I'm But asking. it's not because I'm betting my entire account and if I lose 5%, I blow up. It's because I'm keeping as little money as possible. That's what I'm on asking. Because I think you can you could come in with more principal and less leverage, but you're comfortable it's, it's, with a 20x. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a capital efficiency play and it's like a safety play. This is supposed to be a right. small trade. I don't want to put any more capital into it. So I guess, you know, I'll probably express it more by adding some leverage if the opportunity presents itself. And uh, I got I got some ideas from from Ben Cohen's like pay channel. He had he had some good uh, public YouTube things, but he said a potential good target might be 800 sats. So we'll go from 1400 ADA to BTC ratio to 800. So we'll see if it uh, turns into a, a nice juicy return or not. But um, the other thing I want to mention was uh, today, in fact, is the one year anniversary since we were last at 0% interest rates. Yeah. So that'd be Zerp day. On March, <laughs> on March 16, 2022, we got a first increase of 25 base points. I think until like even July, we were still under 1%. So now that we're, and we'll talk about this in the main section. So it took a year to start collapsing. Got it. <laughs> Pretty well, steep hike. But, but keep almost in mind, it's only been a year from 25 basis point hike. So we haven't even got like a year from the big boy hike. So anyway, now that we're potentially approaching the question of a, of a pause, I thought it'd be cool to bring some data in and look at what happens when there is a pause. So 
this data is uh, from 42 Macro. Highly recommend their, their paid subscriptions. But um, typically, when we have, there are different types of pivots. There's typically a pause where they just stop increasing interest rates, and there's a pivot where they start reversing interest rates and start bringing them back down. When you look at the pauses, on average, the, um, the bottom of the bear market trough happens one to two months before. There's only two instances in the, in the time scale of this. So this was one in a, a 2019, early 2019, end of 2018. And then the last time they just paused and didn't pivot was in 1942. So there's not a lot of data points. Wait, so you're saying there's only two times when they've paused and not pivoted? Correct. Okay. Just pause and kept them flat. There's a lot more instances of, of when they pivot. So what I found interesting is what happens when they actually pivot. Because um, on a median basis, the bottom happens you know, one month after they make any kind of change. But when you start looking at these pivot scenarios, because um, everyone's excited for a pivot, I just think it's important to bring some data because it may not be as exciting as you want it to be. So the last pivot was in uh, 2007, and the market bottomed 18 months after the, the actual pivot. 18 months after, not the one month after that you just said? Correct. So like if we zoom in here Typically on 2007 comes. pivot, 18 months after. Then in 2001, we so also what was have the a, one month you said? Oh, sorry. One month before, one to two months before is when they just pause. That's when it, when it, when it, the bear market bottoms typically one to two months before they just pause. So if we think a pause is happening, you might feel a little. You're saying pause and no cuts. Exactly. A weird thing to predict. Right. Probably not happening here. I'm guessing. Well, we'll talk about that Maybe. later. But my my point is that people are excited about a pivot, and I'll, I'll name off some other. Instances. So in 2001, they pivoted. The bear market did not trough until 21 months after. 1987, they pivoted. It uh, bottomed two months after. 1981, 14 months after. So the reality is like we're all excited about a pivot, but that usually means something fucked up is going on and it may need time to cycle out and, and take its place. Um, but uh, the, you know, if you just look at those two times we we only paused, if you think that's a high probability, what were the what were the two dates of just a pause? Uh, just a pause was uh, two th- uh, January fourth, two thousand nineteen, and uh, July of nineteen forty two. And in those scenarios, you look three months forward, the S and P five hundred was up thirteen percent. In six months, it was up twenty percent, and in twelve months, it was up forty percent. So if you think a just a pause might happen, it tends to look pretty good. Pivot. And, and this, this is a sample size of two, correct? Exactly. So <laughs> this is that, that's a good point to Statistician just say in my, three my to four times. Is going, mm. And then like fundamental-wise, 2019 looked so different to now. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, so I guess the, the takeaway for me was pivot, not so great immediately. Yeah, and that's a good takeaway. beware. So anyway, that, that's mine. Are we allowed to share this document? Nope. Okay, I thought so. Yeah. Sorry, people. <laughs> but I, I, I get. I, I think but I just we, we covered it. We pulled out the stuff. Go give, but go, give, get, go give Darius your hard-earned money. Yeah, it's all yeah. good stuff. It is great stuff. <laughs> um, okay, so Armand, you want to go? Sure. Um, on Friday, I bought some dollar sign coin. Woo! Dollar sign coin. Mm-hmm. Nice. I like mm-hmm. it. It's We've good, been talking about that for a while. Good stonk. I think we're still uh, yet to really do our deep dive. I know, Eric, you're 
oh, yeah. uh, wanting to dedicate a time to that conversation. But I thought since I did it, um, perhaps we could have a little one. I hope you tiptoed in because I'm, I'm hoping for wetter. 50% down before I do my deep dive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know if it was a tiptoe. It was a little more than a tiptoe. Um, I intend to keep accumulating because I'm actually cycling out of other stonks into coin. So it's a bit of a, uh, it's a bit of a, I don't know what to call it. And it's like, I'm, I'm still in stonks with this part of the allocation, but I'm just cycling into a different stock in general and have a little higher conviction on this one and taking probably at least 25% of my stonks in general and cycling, uh, that into ETH. So just thinking a lot about the growth bucket based on the conversation we had uh, recently, which was one of my personal favorite episodes as well. Somebody said that in the community, in the audience, in the discourse, I think it was D. Koch actually um, was saying what a great sort of episode that was. And I agree, it was the type of conversation that I really like to have because it caused me to sit back down, look at my thesis in Notion, write out a new version for the rest of 2023. And um, it allowed me to make some decisions and take some action. So um, my Target was $56 and it hit and uh, I took some action. Okay, congrats. I like that on a long-term time yeah. frame. I think um, this might be a spicy take, but I, I think coin is a way better way for most people to get exposure to crypto than buying ETH. And I, I'm fairly certain coin is going to outperform ETH by a lot. Oh, I want to debate yeah. that in depth. Why do you think, though, before you get to the... ETH versus coin, why do you think that it's a better form of exposure uh, to, 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 you know? Because you sort of get a broad swath of exposure to all of crypto activity in a way. And you get some regulatory protection because I think there are a lot of scenarios where regulation happens and it doesn't kill crypto entirely, which means that certain entities in the space that have particular moats are going to end up like getting all of the monies. Um, you see this a lot with regulation, where regulation ends up being like very, very lucrative for like whoever the incumbents in the market are, and then the government effectively picks winners and losers in a way, and a gigantic swath of the losers are going to be like random coins you might buy that are maybe securities right but like the winner it's not hard to imagine the winner being like the one publicly traded company in the united states that is like uber you know crypto 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 right like that they're the one they kind of have like a monopoly on u.s regulation if it's not completely stupid right here's one that's already a security it's like been approved as such and we know that this is supported. It is U.S. centric. Like I think that the the powers that be are going to want to capture some of that tax revenue. This is a way to do it. You know, when you get into like decentralized coins and stuff, they're like, oh, well, how do we capture that? Well, Coinbase. Here we go. Like I agree with with you guys that Coinbase is the play. But um, you know, I've here's my alfalfa. It's like I've continued my journey of. Um, reading charts and stuff. And I'm looking at this particular chart right here that Nick just pulled up is the Coinbase one week. And I, I'm looking at a steep fair value gap lower that is probably looking to be filled at some point. Um, Steven, as the uh, the guru in this, um, you know, you, you can 
feel free to disagree. But that that to me looks ripe. I do. I do. I do disagree. But oh, we good. can have that conversation. Good. Yeah. <laughs> so this, this to me looks like a, like I do want to own coin, just um, not quite yet. Yeah. I mean, I think all of crypto is probably retesting those lower prices, you know, so I'm not saying this thing isn't going lower. It probably is. Um, but I think starting a DCA at these prices, what's the valuation? 13 billion. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's not it's, hard for me to imagine it's, Coinbase it's small being compared a, to some other stocks. Yeah, now. like Coinbase should be Coinbase should be a three hundred billion dollar yeah. company someday if or crypto is not like yeah. a joke. And and I, if crypto is not a joke and it's not a three hundred billion dollar company, then we lost. Yeah, yeah, and like ETH also lost. So like I agree with the whole point that like Coinbase is probably the best way to express like a bullish crypto view. Yeah, like scenarios where ETH wins and Coinbase loses, I, that doesn't very like, rare. Like the U.S. kind of kills crypto just for itself, but it doesn't hurt ETH that badly. I don't know. Like, yeah, I, I see both going down. Not, not. They're probably just, yeah. They're probably yeah. But there is hit. a scenario where ETH actually loses and Coinbase wins just because it totally ties itself to a, a different horse, and that horse wins and ETH doesn't. That's not that's not my thesis, but mm -hmm. I could see that that happening. Hmm. I mean, I know it's not time, but I just worry about what happened with all the banks this last week and the U.S.'s sort of um, perspective on, on crypto as a whole and its support of the industry. I mean, what are the remaining crypto-friendly banks right now? I have no idea. B like BNY <laughs> Mellon or something? Like, there's both, there's some, some big rate. ones. But I'm wondering, is what we just saw transpire over the last seven days, is that like, is that even crypto related? Because most of the stuff that I saw with Silicon Valley Bank was like, that's TradFi. That's TradFi stuff. You want to get in the game plan or do you have some alfalfa that you want to share, Stephen? Yeah, I don't know how much alfalfa I had, um, but I had a, I've had a rough week. I, uh, I got rugged in Euler. Did you oh. see the Euler hack? Sorry, man. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so I came home Friday night and I saw Coinbase at like, uh, not Coinbase, so USDC at 87 cents. And I was just like, fuck this, I'm arbing this. So I bought, I bought, I, I had actually sold at like 99.6 earlier in the day. I remember I came in, came in here all, all frazzled actually in that meeting <laughs> and uh, panicked some people. So sorry about that. Um, but then I came home and I was like, yeah, fuck this. This is this is going back up. So I, so I sold everything back. And then I was like, this is free money. I have to I have to buy more because I really did think it was kind of free money. I thought it was just like classic panic. I thought it was, everything was closed over the weekend. People were losing their shit. I've been through some panics. And like the, the thing in my head was like, this is just a this is just panic. So I started borrowing against my assets on Ave. Right. I just started borrowing Tether and selling it for USDC. And then Ave ran out of money. I think I was like, I actually may have been the one who capped out Ave at one point. You bled it dry. Not a lot left. Yeah. Like I, I could, people, all, there was a ton of money available. And then all at once, I started seeing like the, all the Tether get used up like very quickly. Um, so I did that. And then I, I ran out. But uh, so Ave ran out. And I was like, well, Euler exists and Euler is pretty good. So I, I threw some money in there and I borrowed on Euler. Um, this is Friday night. And then Sunday night at like 3 a.m., right? Like I was going to unwind this whole trade Monday morning. 
And then like I woke up Monday and there's like a hacked the entire protocol, basically. 200 million. 200 million just gone. We have no idea. Like you, you started studying uh, coding, but like we have no idea how to analyze a con a smart contract to determine whether or not that's safe. We just just like it. you don't know how to analyze if your deposits are safe at a bank, maybe. <laughs> True. Thing, I mean, this thing had like six audits. The devs are very very high quality. I mean, Coinbase is an investor. Jump is an investor. This isn't. This wasn't some like weird shady project, you know. Um, so yeah, <laughs> yeah, like in, in, incredibly unlucky. Bummer. Honestly, like that's just the one day I could and I, I have like a like an amount I limit exposure to and because like this stuff happens I've been rugged like a few I have a lot of battle scars at this point I'm kind of kind of jaded about the space at the moment to be honest because like I am a pretty sophisticated investor and I I, I am I don't know how anybody can actually just use this stuff without getting wrecked to, to be quite frank, it's it's kind of it's way more there. immature than we realize, or I think yeah, that we do now realize how immature it actually is. It's very nasty out there, and that's why, like, I thankfully, I mean, we've been talking about this for a while. Like, I've been taking money off crypto for months now and just buying bonds. Like, there's a point where I just looked at bonds and said, uh, "Why do I even have stable coins?" You know, so <laughs> maybe um, that's what Silicon Valley Bank thought. I'll just buy some bonds. <laughs> yeah but for people out there i mean like i yeah i, li I limit myself to like five percent of my portfolio in like a tier one protocol basically um and i doubled it for this because of the arb and i was like look this is for and i actually did make quite a bit on the arb i made you know 10 percent on everything i did in the you know a day which is pretty good it's more like five hours you're up from like midnight till 4 30 in the morning i'm just like the whole time yeah yeah, I, I mean, I haven't slept in days. I am like absolute crackhead at the moment. That was the start of my crackiness, and it's just kind of gone on. Well, but for how yeah, much you got rugged, you look great. Thank you. I, <laughs> I, woke, I woke up this morning at like, I, well, I woke up at like three in the morning yesterday for CPI because like it's like Christmas for me and I can't sleep and I didn't sleep yesterday. And today I woke up at 4 a.m. again and I put some trades. I actually had a crazy day today. Like I put on a bunch of like trades last night, like, um, some orders on like S&P, um, just some kind of swing trade stuff. And I woke up and I, I realized I had forgotten to cancel some of my other orders. So orders I placed to close a trade actually made me go net long. And I didn't realize it. So I woke up this morning and I, I was like, ooh, the, it hit my targets. And then I looked and my position size was like four times my normal position size. I've done that before. And I was like, oh God. And I spent like four hours this morning, like watching. I don't know if you guys saw the market today, but it was, it ticked down, 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 down. It got to one tick from my liquidation point and then completely reversed. And I ended up having like my biggest like day trading it was a SP huge day reversal. ever. Yeah. Insane reversal. And I was like, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for giving me Because <laughs> I really, I really needed that. Um, so yeah, I don't know if there's any alfalfa in that, <laughs> but uh, sleep. Uh, don't put all your money in uh, a DeFi protocol. Yeah, I like that position sizing alpha. That's and, good. Yeah, check your, check your orders, God. Um, what's the name of that scotch? Or that it's actually it's not scotch; it's Japanese whiskey. I got a little, little dude. I think uh, that's cubby hole. Uh, Japanese oh, whiskey. I just want to say I think that's booze alfalfa for okay, sure. Okay, uh, should save that for the life episode. Nika whiskey, coffee grain. So it's Japanese whiskey, 
with a little coffee grain in it. Mm, yeah. It's tasty. Nika coffee is amazing. Show the, oh, uh, huge I think right my there. cousin Tyler uh, might've mentioned this one before oh, yeah? or something similar to it. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's yeah, it. She's pretty. It's nice. That's We've, good uh, stuff. We go through this one quickly over here. Yeah. In this that's office. good stuff. It's coming in handy right now. So right. I share your sentiment, except for a different, completely different reason, Stephen. And maybe, I don't know if it's okay to start there, yes. but like, yeah, I mean, this past week was like really, really disheartening for me. I think I was even venting in the discord and just kind of like feeling pretty cynical and sad, honestly, about the whole situation. And um, I mean, it was close to being an absolute goddamn disaster. And even though it did not, and what I'm referring to, obviously, is SVB. Peg, right? Well, that, no. no I'm referring to <laughs> okay, good. Thank you for clarifying. Yeah. Because I was feeling despondent about... No, I, I mean, the USDC thing to me was like, okay, shit. The move I personally made was like, I just immediately moved everything to Tether and I ate five to 6% and I didn't swap back. You didn't have and a Coinbase account? I did not know oh, about that. Oh, no. Yeah, I do have a Coinbase account. But they turned it off. Who doesn't? They turned off no, the swap. I, no, yeah, I, 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 I did not know a that. a ton of money on Friday. So what you're just describing, which I, you up. said it in like our group chat, but I... I didn't know what you meant. You basically said you moved all your USDC to Coinbase account. You swapped for Tether there because it was a one-to-one -one peg there. But on Uniswap, it was not. And that's what I did. I did it on Uniswap. Mm. And so I ate, I, you know. Yeah, I have some wallets that lost I just like five, keep six percent. isolated. But everything that is like connected to my stuff, I just sent to Coinbase and cashed out immediately. Hmm. Well, that was smart. Um, myself and some others did not, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I was talking to Carnes out of Chris about it and we were just strategizing and that's what we decided to do. And some it was PTSD. just to be able to sleep at night, you know, I was like, yeah. all right, if this thing goes to zero, I don't want to lose all my, my USDC. Meanwhile, uh, Eric is in Vegas, uh, on a, oh, on a boy's trip drinking and, uh, he doesn't have his laptop with him yeah. and he's like, guys, I'm wasted. Like, is the world coming down? Like I have a lot of exposure. What's going on? Uh, I want to talk about TLDR. This. I want to talk about this. So, first of all, I'm on mushrooms. This, all right, I wasn't going to disclose, but yeah, no, this needs to be said because, like, I, think, I, I am. On I think a, the audience knows. I'm on a like. I remember looking at my phone, and everything is just like iridescent on my phone. Just like the screen is. I'm just surprised like, you could even look at your phone. Oh, like I barely can, and I'm and like we're all texting each other, and I'm not really participating in the text, but I'm like seeing the the price of usdc going down like 92 cents 90 and i'm like oh god yeah, wow. and I, oh, now really like, high i couldn't have handled that <laughs> retrospectively i realized that sending you an article didn't help you because you probably couldn't read an well article. i couldn't read it at all yeah. uh, <laughs> but like i remember like because when i'm on mushrooms like first of all it's not really just the phone that i'm thinking of. i'm thinking of like the bigger picture right so i'm yeah. seeing like silicon valley crumble like before that silvergate out you know uh What's the other one in signature York? signature out? So then USDC crumbling. I'm like, I'm like, all these people are just gambling in Vegas and they have no idea that the financial system <laughs> is just cracking beneath them. And I just felt like, wow. And it was <laughs> And it, for a moment. I thought it was, but I, I think we'll talk about it in the, in the next segment. But like those fears that I had, like I was on the edge there thinking like, oh, it's all over. I'm off the edge now, but like those thoughts have not left me. Like I actually believe that that wasn't the moment, but that was a domino and that that moment oh, is yeah. coming. And that's how I feel. 
So you feel the moment is coming where we would see a mass run on on banks and yeah. we see some form of collapse of the entire financial system? Something akin to what happened in 2007, eight is, is like what I'm imagining where like, like here the US government came in and backstopped that loss. But on Silicon Valley Bank, they were holding government-backed securities. They were holding treasury bonds. They were holding uh, agency mortgage-backed securities. Like those are like the safe ones, you know, but there's a lot of banks out there that hold risky assets, right? And Silicon Valley Bank is dead. Yeah. It's dead off of holding the safest shit ever. They mistimed it, right? They played the yield curve wrong. They mistimed it and there was a run on their bank and that that sucks. But like there's banks out there that have way worse shit on their balance sheets. And what I'm worried about is like, what happens when people find out about that? And, you know, we can talk about what I'm like, what I'm sort of alluding to. But yeah, I mean, my perspective going forward for this and just like general game plan is trying to draw some conclusions from it. And I know a lot of people have been drawing the conclusion, well, this is good for liquidity because the Fed backstopped these specific banks and provided liquidity to them. And so is liquidity positive. I tend to think it's quite very uh liquidity negative just who because who thinks it's liquidity positive i mean if you're on twitter i mean so there's twitter, literally like two camps oh, of like bankless just said it was this is a version of qe right I, I don't i don't think it is yeah i don't think it is either and and in a very well, short term it right, can be right and so i think it's uh negative for liquidity just because the these regional banks were typically further out on the risk curve in terms of providing lending to uh businesses to real estate projects, like they're the ones who know their community the best, and they're the ones who lend to to, to mid market businesses, construction projects, industrial projects. Um, so there, are, and now these banks are going not going to lend as much. They're going to be a lot more restrictive. They're and their depositors are going to demand that they're going to be more restrictive. So I think the the tightening from these regional banks, and that that doesn't even count the d- deposit outflows from these banks. So first of all, their deposits are yeah, outflowing these that's bigger the banks. That's the big thing. We got to, yeah. well, even, even we're not, they're not even so much outflowing to bigger banks. They're outflowing from banks. Like we have a fractional reserve system. Like the money supply is basically like levered bank deposits, yes. right? So when people pull their money from banks on top of the tightening and lending standards and everything you mentioned, Nick, like right. that is going to be like, Deflationary. So, so Goldman Sachs today, they lowered their GDP forecast by, by a large chunk. They, they, they were forecasting 1.5% GDP growth. It's now 1.2. Just because of this moment, if nothing else happens from here, they're already expecting a, a decrease in That's GDP. That's a good point. That's and a good point. It does it, remove a, a ton of liquidity just based on the fractionalization. Right. And it's because banks with less than 250 billion in assets comprise 50% of commercial industrial lending, 60% of residential real estate lending, 80% of commercial real estate lending, and 45% of consumer 80%. lending. 80%? Yes. Wow, So these really? are the guys doing all the lending. Yeah. Now, now JP Morgan, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, they, they have assets, you know, they may continue to lend, but they may also just be more restrictive in, in general too. So even though the Fed is providing this backstop, which by the way, I, I don't, if you had to like, put a size to it, I don't think is that big. You know, I think that the current facility is like 65 billion or something like that. And I know the way it works, like 
the, the entity where the money goes, they can actually lever that like 30 to one if they, if they need to. So it can actually turn into a large amount of money. But, but regardless, the market itself is going to be a lot more restrictive. So that's, that's the main thing that's, that's coming up for me in terms of like starting to formulate a game plan is that this is uh, going to contract the economy, not necessarily expand it. Credit will not increase because of this. I agree with that. I also don't think that we're going to have like any sort of collapse. Like I'm not really worried about what you're worried about. Like when I see what happened this weekend, I saw a bunch of government officials who were like, oh, we're not going to do the dumb crap we did in the past. You know, there were a lot of obvious mistakes made in the past, which are basically just like they could have thrown money at the problem and fixed it, but they didn't and stuff blew up. And like COVID, they threw money at, they threw too much money at the problem. Right. But to their credit, like stuff didn't blow up. And then here you saw the exact same thing, boom, backstop everything. So I, I, it's, it's clear to me that the long-term risk isn't some like deflationary, like credit blow up. But I, I think it's just like, they're just going to, well, it's just more indication. They're going to turn on the money printers at some point again. Yeah. And, and that's going to be the release valve. I'm not, um, I'm not worried about other banks blowing up, but, um, you guys are familiar with like the concept of like shadow banking sector. Um, yes. Shadow banking obviously gives it a negative term, but uh, these aren't necessarily bad businesses. I mean, there's all types of like yeah, shadow. Could you could you explain? Yeah, yeah. Them? I mean, like a private equity firm mm-hmm. is a shadow bank, right? They they provide lending to to companies. Hedge funds are even down to like your your, your paycheck, your, your brokerage. Yeah, your account. yeah exactly. I mean, your uh, Schwab, TD Ameritrade. Um, all the way down to like pay, paycheck financing, um, hard money lenders like Ave. Ave is part <laughs> of the shadow bank sector. That is a very large component of this economy, and so there's not as many regulations for those that cohort of of companies as there is banks. So we may find that some of these portions of the shadow banking, you know, part of our financial system may have also got themselves into similar problems, and it may take you know, months for us to find where the, where the secrets are. So I'm, I'm more worried about the kind of non-bank. Can you guys indulge system. me this like doomer scenario though? Yeah. Are okay. you going to indulge? Let's go. Let's indulge it. Pitch me. So I think there's like, there's probably like multiple things going on here. One, I want to just dismiss entirely, which is like the bank run scenario that can happen to any bank. Right. And, um, SVB was brought down by a bank run, not by really like bad investing. You know, they they did buy bonds at a time when bonds were really expensive. I mean, it and was it was bad risk management, though. Terrible, like, like terrible. I mean, to buy those bonds was maybe the worst investment. And, I've and ever also, seen in their my life. entire deposit base was correlated to like one specific industry, tech, which right. is like this. Basically, the real like it's like an interesting take I heard somebody say was that like tech is the real estate bubble of this bubble. We just don't, we don't know it yet, but that's. That's what's happening. So they all pulled their money at the same time. And like I think any bank, any modern bank would would have a tough time handling that level of deposits at the same time. So I, I just want to yeah. isolate that and be like, okay, well, that that is not what I'm actually scared of. What I'm scared of is like how Silicon Valley Bank held safe assets that that did go down in price. And they that's what fucked them. It was like the run at the same time that their assets were not performing well. What fucked them is they didn't do any interest rate hedges. 
Agreed. Right. But like there are things out there that exist in a large way that like I don't think we're giving any credit to. I, I'm, I'm even talking about us there four. are worse decisions where if the same effects took place, we just have an expanded version of what you just saw. Precisely. Like what? what I'm yeah, talking take, take us one step yeah. further. What I am talking about, and I'll name it, is basically commercial real estate in office. Office mm. commercial real estate is fucking dog shit. Since COVID, we all know all of our friends who stopped going into work, right? And like, I think that we all agree that that might be stickier than, than we imagined. Like a lot of people aren't going back. So there's a lot of uh, leases from companies in these, in these like office buildings that they don't even need anymore. So those leases expire. You got the owners of these buildings. They have to refinance. They're, they're on short-term mortgages because those guys aren't actually trying to own these buildings forever. They're trying to flip them. So they're on short-term mortgages. They can't refinance because the interest rates now are astronomical. Banks don't even want to refinance. So I think I see a situation where the owners of these like sky rises are going to walk away from the buildings that are fucking half full at best. And we're not considering that this is risky. Like we thought, like we thought Silicon Valley bank was safe. It folded it owned treasury bonds. Like what about the ones that are holding riskier shit? Yeah. Um, if you, if um, people watching or the audience wants to check out uh, banks that have a lot of commercial real estate paper, I believe it's and Andreas Steno Larson yeah. on Twitter. He posted just a few days ago um, a chart that showed as a percentage of total assets, what percentage uh, uh, they held in commercial real estate debt but for each bank. So if you ever want to look at, okay, which of the banks who hold the most commercial real estate debt, um, I know there's a chart there and I'll, I'll find it and I'll post it in the, uh, in the show notes below. And but, like uh, maybe, maybe there won't be a bank run on those banks at the, at the exact moment that these assets are depressed in price and that, that might give them enough runway to get out clean. But we know that this world moves very freaking fast now like, yes, yeah, so all it took was one sliver of information. I mean, and then Twitter and just takes it over. of course, because it was so concentrated in tech, every VC and every founder was very concerned. And then as soon as it slipped to one group of investors and founders in one WhatsApp or Telegram group, it was wildfire. And I don't think that the government is going to backstop those losses. They're risky. They're not like government-backed securities. Like, I don't see... I, I see that being the other sort ones. of like the Lehman type so that actually dies we, and then we fucking crumble. We've we've already seen this. So I, I think I mentioned it when we weren't on the pod, but uh, I was in this meeting for this uh, real estate group. They're looking for limited partners to invest. And he said, uh, you know, we have a really good, interesting deal coming up. It's at an amazing price. And he told me the price and the cap rate. I was like, what? That seems really cheap. I was like, why? What's up with it? He's like, well, it's a, it's a building in Irvine that Blackstone owns. And they need, they are very motivated buyer right now because they need liquidity. And so they were selling it like a seven or an eight cap. Motivated buyer or motivated? They're motivated, sorry, motivated seller. Okay. Yeah, I I must have misspoke. (laughs) So anyway, they're they're trying to get liquidity. And Blackstone actually defaulted on a, on a, like a Finnish office portfolio already. So what you're saying is already happened in in different parts of the world. They could Mm. not. First domino, boys. They couldn't meet their debt payments so, uh, yeah, I think it's already happening. It may not feel like, if we look back, it's not going to feel like Silicon Valley Bank just because this might happen, you know, spread out slowly over, over time. And it may not make the headlines and concentrate it over like one weekend. But I think you're, 
spot mm. on. I'd be really curious where the just general audience sits on this because I feel like there are two camps of people out there right now where they're like, this was a blip and it's a passing thing. We're pivoting or pausing, whatever, whatever. And we're turning a corner here and there's a little bit of excitement. And I think there's this other camp that's sitting on team CFA saying, yeah, dude, like shit's about to get really dark. That's exactly how um, I framed it. I said, this is either the event or this is the first domino. Yeah. I'd be really curious. We should, uh, like people should comment on the YouTube video and let us know like which camp yeah, they sit in or in the discord. Blip, yeah. In the YouTube comments is like, blip or is this dark ages? And I also want to know, do you think this is, I like that blip this is or a dark form ages. Of, of QE or is this actually restricted? So I'll tell you how yeah, I'm I want playing, to do more like, polls. I'm playing it this way because I, you obviously know how I, how I feel about it. Like I am just shoving cash I'm, I'm going cash and I'm going cash into bucket number two from last episode, which is short-term treasury bills, get my 5%, sit pretty, no downside risk. This is just beautiful to me. Okay. So, you know, we're not the only players in this uh, game here. The, the biggest player is the Fed and they have a meeting next week. So how do you view that? Like, because this could feel very doomsy right now, but depending on what Powell says, probably more importantly, what he says and what he does, the whole the whole game board could literally shift underneath you. So exactly. Are I, you thinking about that? Yes. So yeah. the way I'm thinking about that is we're going to get, a, I believe we're going to get a little bit of a reprieve here where we, we feel like, oh, God, we're out of the noose. That's nice. But I, I think that what I'm describing, this like doom scenario. Wait, what it, do you mean by reprieve though? Are you, are you said, what do you think he's going to do? Uh, 25 bips raise. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and with that, that I, would that would be bullish. bearish. I would argue no, because the bullish. market is pricing fifty percent chance of pause right now. So if he does hike, okay. So even negative, even right? pause, even pause. I maybe he pauses, pauses reprieve. I think okay. Maybe yeah. he pauses. Like I think that there's going to be a short term reprieve where we believe like oh nice nice, and then market responds positively to that. But like, I do not want to buy into that narrative. Like, I want to be in treasuries during my five percent and be like, okay, you guys just continue walking (laughs) off the cliff, and I'm just sitting pretty. I I, I tend to agree, and I want to hear. I mean, I'm 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 rolling with that as well. That's my game plan. I I want to hear your guys put on it too. But uh, in in my mind, whether they hike fifty basis points or they pause and say we're just going to take a chill out time and just see what happens, I think. Either way, it's bearish. And, I, and I'm thinking in like a six to 18 month time period, not like a one month trader time period. And the reason is that obviously if they raise rates 25 base points or, you know, you know, odds are low that they raise 50 base points, but they do, that's obviously bearish. It's against what the market is expecting. And, you know, Powell, I think it's more important what he says. And if he says, yeah, we solved that problem back on the train, uh, employment is too high, Wages are too high. Inflation is too high. We're back on fighting inflation train. That's bearish. If he pauses, we may see, you know, one of these like three months, six month forward looking S&P 500 is up. But I, I'd expect within three to six months, inflation starts ticking up again. Like um, we saw in, in early 2019 when, when Powell paused, the market did like a straight V and just started shooting back up. And if that happens again, people will think that financial conditions are, are are loosening and I think inflation ticks back up. We haven't even gotten the CPI print, but like if if you look closely, I think a lot of people missed that if you look at the three-month annualized rate of a lot of those metrics, 
they're actually slightly increasing. Yes, the year-over-year number is going down, but the three-month annualized rate is actually slowly ticking up. So you have to drill into the numbers he's looking at, too, because he doesn't care about... So what does he care about the the month over month? You uh, posted about this on Twitter, Stephen. You want to take this one? Like why you thought it was bearish when you when you immediately saw it? Yeah, I mean, core came up above expectations, and then the the three month right. The three month is I think really important. The three month trend annualized right because the data is still really messed up year over year for the last couple years. It was just like a shit show. You want to look at like the three month trends sort of annualized. Like we've made no progress since last fall, basically. Like I, I think we had like some of the hottest prints since September, October, whenever it was 20. That's, that's not good. It's not what he wants to see. And keep in mind, like a week ago, we were 0% of a pause and like we got up to like 50% of a 50 basis point hike. Right. It might've even been higher. I, I didn't see like they, they were moving around a lot. It's kind of crazy. Just the volatility around interest rate and interest rate expectations. I mean, we were down 12% today on the two-year we, yield. We right? went down in a one-week period over 100 basis points. That is like unheard of. Last Wednesday, I think when we recorded, the two-year was at 5%. It's like at 3.8% now or something. Yeah, like, our, like a lot of our audience is crypto people and they're used to their, their shit coins going up 10% in a day. Like this has got to be like a six Sigma move for bonds or something. Like it's, it's just unheard of. Like, I don't know if there has been a move like this since like COVID and COVID. Can you tell people why, like why the two year going, the yields going down, why that's, why that's bad. Does that mean people think a recession is coming and they're being fearful? I mean, it could down for a lot of different reasons, right? Like the market is pricing in cuts, they were not pricing in any cuts this year. Remember, we were pricing in cuts this year, and then we got into this paradigm where everybody's like, you morons, like inflation's here, and then cuts went away for this year. We're like, is there even going to be a cut next year? I don't know. I think the market was still pricing in some cuts like mid or early next year. But now we're like cuts by like, I think they were, we're up to like three, two or three cuts by the end of the year now in the span of, right? So that's going to weigh on the, the, the two-year, right? That has to get, Price into the two year. And, and, and if we go back to the data we just went over in the alfalfa round, like a pivot, meaning cuts, doesn't necessarily mean that it's up only from that point forward because something really bad could be happening that caused them to, to cut. Yeah. Like, I mean, look, sounded like it could be anywhere from one to 18 months of. <laughs> right. Until you hit the real okay. trough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think it's a confusing time for right now. Like, I am. Pers- I, it, it depends on what Paul does a lot, right? Like he can send the market to hell or to like an absolute moon moon landing, you know, depending on what he does and what he says in, in the short term. I kind of agree with you guys that ultimately in the medium to mid long term, like it does seem like we need to make like another, you know, pit stop at the, the ground floor before we go back up again. It's just sort of a path dependency on how we, we get there, right? Which is like kind of important if you're like a shorter, you know, the shorter term your investment horizon is, the more the path you take um, matters. Um, I, I'm sort of the opinion that nothing that happened last week is all that relevant. Um, maybe I don't want to say it's zero relevant and clearly the bond market thinks it's relevant and I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I'm smarter than the bond market, but like inflation is still bad like that hasn't changed i don't i think they did a good job of shoring up 
like the, the the issues with the banks. Like I don't think those particular issues are systemic. And I think Powell should hike 50 points. Like I doubt he does because he might think it's going to spark like a panic or something, even though it's probably the right thing to do. So he'll probably do 25, I think, is the compromise. I think if he pauses, like I, I think we're, I think we probably melt. Melt up. Yeah. Because like, I don't think anything is really that broken in the short term. Right. And if you are just left with this like hot economy and this gigantic bucket of cash on the sidelines and a market that is clearly foaming at the mouth to take on risk, if you've been around for the last nine years and any hint of a, 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 even a rate of change like is just been like, okay, let's buy all the dog coins again. Right. With a ton of cash on the sidelines. Yes. But and what I, about, so, so how do you square uh, maybe credit drying up and expansion of the economy drying up because of this? Is it, uh, Hey, the economy's so strong that if we did slow down credit, if there was a pause, asset prices still go up because, well, the fact is people have a ton of money in their, in their cat, in their checking accounts. They also have a ton of money in, money market funds they could easily pull down. I think the reverse repo is still over two trillion. So is yeah, that that's just like my generalized thought is that there, there's just like a gigantic bucket of cash that's just like wanting to take on some sort of like duration risk and is just currently just parked and just you know safety. So can I uh, uh draw upon my six episodes of uh technical analysis uh <laughs> please uh, mentorship. Um <laughs> I love this series. <laughs> <laughs> there are uh, there are some liquidity levels on like the S and P five hundred, ETH, that look to be sort of like uh, you know ripe, ripe to be run uh, on the upside. So ETH looks like it could run eighteen hundred, two thousand in a bullish scenario, but then based on my six episodes, it looks like um, like I would probably want to exit. ETH there, I'd want to exit S&P 500 at like 4250, but like those, those look pretty low hanging. Is that, is that what you're seeing as well? Yeah, I think crypto liquidity is kind of obvious. Um, if you want to think about that in like, when we say liquidity, we sort of broadly speaking, uh, speaking, look, you know, I mean like where you kind of look at a chart and you look at where like gigantic players would be able to fill orders. Like the basic principle behind this is that, you know, if you were, if you are CZ of Binance, you're not clicking market buy on a billion dollars of Bitcoin. You have to use passive limit orders to flow. So you need people, if you're buying, you need people to sell into you. If you're selling, you need people to, to buy into you, right? Which is why you tend to see the market reverse after we do things like run a bunch of critical lows or run a bunch of critical highs, because often like large players have absorbed orders at those levels, and then we go to the other direction, and then they sort of distribute, and that's kind of like how the that's like kind of what Eric's talking about, right? I think that there is ample like liquidity to the upside that you can kind of see on Bitcoin, ETH, and crypto in general, because we had this gigantic gap down last year that just left all this air and these zones where there's just air where price goes very very quickly tend to be like really volatile areas when you go into them where price can move a huge distance like very very quickly and get people either fomoing or panicking depending on where you are right so if we break 2k eth right now 
I think there's like a big gap where people could be like, oh my God, it's, I missed the, I missed the, I missed the bottom. It's a, it's a bull run time and price could go 2K, 23, 24, 25. It, it, it could happen very quickly. Like if we go melt up status, which I do think is a probability. Like I am not saying this is going to happen, but as like a, like a swing trader, I am looking for a signal for a spot where we might get like kind of like a, you know, dot-com bubble-esque melt up because I think that is a possibility. If we get like a bit of a policy mishap, right? We have the ingredients for a melt up, which would be this like short-term like mega moon in prices followed by like a rug that's going to just really kill everybody. Okay. Can can you maybe go one step further and steel man the opposite case? Like for, for the people in the camp who are like, okay, we're going to melt up to 2K and then we're going to keep going. This is the start of a new bull run. Like I'm trying to figure out like, why could they be right? And I'm, I'm having trouble seeing it beyond that 2K point, but, uh, you know, sometimes we get in a little, you know, group think here. So what's, what's the case for like why that could run higher? You could get a pause. You could get inflation taking a slightly long time to kind of come back and then you don't have like a credit event. And then I like some of this stuff is blurry, right? Like if we got like a three month thing and then like dumped, like Eric sitting on the sideline with his cash, he's feeling cozy. He's like, ah, yeah, whatever. I missed this three month nonsense. Right. But if you get like a two year, like slow melt, then were you actually being a prudent investor or did you like kind of miss like, no, you missed it. You kind of missed it. Right. So this stuff is not that simple. Like if we get a mini melt of ETH to like, 3k from 14 and you didn't participate and it takes two years of your life and then you round your trip and you just sat there in cash all the time like you maybe you feel okay but you probably don't you probably feel you probably feel really bad at the top right that's the type of stuff that like gets people to be like i can't deal with this anymore i have to yeah, buy fuck it i'm buying that's why i bought it like 1450 the other day because i was like look this is just one of, like there's sometimes spots where you just have to buy because the worst case scenario is just like you lose a little bit more and you're whatever and you know that you're wrong. But if you didn't, then you're like, if you're sitting around right now, you didn't buy 1450, you haven't bought anything. And then ETH goes to 1750, you're like, uh, 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 what do I do? And then if it goes from here to like 18, 1850, you're like, and eventually people, they just like, they can't deal with it. Yeah. yeah. And then they like, buy the top. Because, I mean, it went to 1750 and like, Four days. Yeah, it was like, insane. It was an insane. So, move. like, if it went to twenty five hundred, like at some point, all the money on the sidelines would be like, "Oh, that was the bottom." Yeah, psychology is insane, right? Like, I do this all day for a living, and I get wrapped up in it and make terrible decisions all the time. And like, what you think you're going to do ahead of time, in the moment, you totally end up fucking up. Like, if you don't actually have like a good process and an execution plan. In the moment, because in the moment we all turn into apes and we just go monkey see green, green candle, monkey click buy button. And then that that's kind of it. And we get we get wrecked, which is why I like sitting here with you guys and try to game plan ahead of time. Right. So, like, I'm curious, like, what are you guys doing right now? Because I do feel like this this is an inflection point right now. And I like having these discussions at inflection points. Like a lot of the times we talk, it's like noise I don't think there's noise happening right here. I think there's something that's going to be like a big change. I don't know exactly what it is and nobody does, but we want to 
game plan for all the scenarios. So I don't know if anybody's, I, I know Eric's kind of, you know, sitting in cash. Like, what do you, what are you doing, Nick? I mean, uh, today I actually just moved the, I had some, um, cash in Coinbase for price triggers, really low triggers in ETH, but I moved the final bit of it to money market fund at JP Morgan today. So my second, going back to last money episode, I have all the cash in this kind of like second bucket liquidity bucket where I'm just, you know, earning, earning yield. Um, I tend to think we're in like this long term bearish phase and I'm not necessarily like a, a trader. Obviously I made that trade. I mentioned the alpha alpha round that might last a month or two. Um, but I, I'm not going to try to play this. Like if there is a melt up for like two, three months, I, I don't, you know, obviously if we go past 2k, I'm going to feel like that was a bad move and I was just pl- flat out wrong. But if we go to 2K and hover there and maybe run back, I'll feel like I'm I'm right. And uh, I'm just trying to decide, um, you know, where I would start buying ETH. I think like four episodes ago, I said I'm roughly 20 to 25% allocated for my growth growth bucket, which is for me is ETH and some high beta ETH tokens. I'm certainly not going to fucking touch any altcoins. I mean, I'm, I'm shorting them uh, right now. So I'm going to see how this plays out, but I tend to think we're still in this long-term bearish mode. I don't know how far we go down. And I guess around like 1,400 start dipping my toes in, which was a lot higher than I previously thought it would be. Um, And just kind of recalibrate that number if if and when we get closer to there. And uh, yeah, I I think, um, you know, in terms of, recession starting, I still think it might take a while, it might take till the end of the year. So we, ha- I, I think patience is going to be rewarded here. And I think if this is either going to be like an absolutely legendary show of patience over the last year and maybe one more year forward, like it might be two years of patience. And if we actually do run closer to the lows of like June of last year, or maybe even, you know, lower than that, it, it'll be epic. Um, but I still have some allocated. It's like when we do do these run-ups, I'm like, okay, I don't feel terrible because I have, you know, a quarter of it allocated. So I, I like that that's there. And then, um, yeah, just just try to be patient, not try to FOMO, earn the yield, and, uh, you know, try to make money in my actual business so I can keep funneling cash into that bucket so that when it does come, I can be greedy. Because I do know that, in general, in the past, when we've gone through these long-term bearish cycles, like I haven't necessarily been the one who's like, when everyone is low on liquidity, I'm high in liquidity. And like, I want to be that person. You want to be Buffett. I want to be Buffett. I want to be like, I'm ready for it. And I'm not going to like FOMO in. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to try to stick to these like frameworks that I have in my mind that are constantly being tested whenever we have conversations and play it out. But I don't blame people for thinking, you know, this could be the start of a pivot, you know, even if it is just a pause. We just said that like bear market troughs, you know, one to two months before a pause. So you could still see this like three month uh, run up during that period. Crypto tends to front run, you know, the S&P. So I, I don't I don't think I can say in the three to five month period that uh, we won't, you know, see, see a run up. But uh, I just going to be like like you said about Eric, probably patient and and stand by so i don't know that's the current thesis okay guys i want to wrap with some silicon valley talk 
You want to go into the... Yes. I want to to make sure we talk about that. That was a really important thing. And I feel like if we don't talk about it, we're not going to talk about it next week. So, um, and yeah, I'm in a similar place. Same moves. So we can wrap that. (laughs) For for me... um, like I, like I said, like that entire situation um, left me feeling really disillusioned. And I saw an entire industry of people that are taking so much risk and working so hard from all types of backgrounds. And I'm referring to founders here and the people that work for these founders, the employees of startups. 60% approximately of Silicon Valley banks assets, you know, deposits were, these are, these are startups, excuse me, the other way around, 60% of startups bank at Silicon Valley Bank. So that's tremendous. Like what would have taken place here if depositors, as in these startups, did not get their deposits back, would have literally flushed the entire innovation of the United States down the toilet. Like, there was this meme that was going around and this starts to dig into some like culture, political conversation, but it is important to talk about. There's this meme going around where it's like every time one of these big banks goes down and asks the government for money or a bailout, they referred to it as a Silicon Valley bailout. You guys might've seen my, my rant I posted that the government steps in and obliges overnight. And then the last little example was like, but my wife has cancer. Can you please pay for it? And it's like, government's like, nope, go fuck yourself. But that's not true, first of all, because Silicon Valley Bank did not get a bailout. These were the depositors. And people are so misguided on Twitter about the difference between venture capitalists, investors in general, founders, and employees of these banks. They were confounding all of these into one bucket called elite tech bro and saying, all of you can burn in hell we don't want to help you and you all deserve this. And the take on Twitter was, again, like I have to sit there sometimes and think about it and say, are we just witnessing a very toxic minority of people speaking up on behalf of a, of a greater group? Or is this really how society feels? Because there were there was like this uh, female founder that wrote a long tweet thread about her life. She's like, I'm the mother of three. I support my husband. I come from this like small town. I started this company off my back with my own money. I got lucky and I raised a seed Didn't round she for say, three like, million people. I drive a Hyundai Sonata. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there were so many of these, right? And then people were just yeah, like, got, sorry, lady. She ended up getting dunked on. She got dunked on. Like, sorry, lady. Like For, for some, like somebody was like, uh, you donated like $40,000 to this Montessori school. Why are you pretending to be like a... There's deep dysfunction in the way that we look at the innovators of society. Anybody that seems to get a certain amount of money, whether it be that it was from an investor or that they earned it themselves, even when they came from very little, is getting dunked on and being put in this class of people that is elite. Even if they earned it, we no longer celebrate risk-taking, entrepreneurship, innovating. We're not celebrating that anymore. And in fact, anyone that's taking a risk, if they're not going to get backstopped by the government and their deposits are not going to be secure, A, why would they bank at any bank in the first place? They might as well put it in couch cushions. B, why would they take a risk and start a company? They should just go become a dentist or like some sort of, you know, just great paying job. 
And C, it's like if you know that your people and society around you is not going to support these great innovations that you're creating and the way you're trying to help people, why try in the first place? You start to become so nihilistic. And the most important point here is like the little meme about like, oh, please help me, my family, someone has cancer. It's like, oh, excuse me, did you not realize that there are companies that you were about to flush down the toilet that are doing innovation to make it so that your wife or spouse or child gets better access to cancer prevention to like my friend Serge. My friend Serge started a company. His assets were at Silicon Valley Bank. This is a pre precision medicine company enabling the proper dose of chemotherapy at the point of care for children that have cancer. Right. Like, <laughs> he's helping that. I think you're onto a good point because it's it wasn't the bank that got bailed out, it was the depositors. Yeah, and that was great. And these depositors they weren't taking any risk like what the bank was doing. They were just depositing their funds in a bank like anybody else does. And then the bank folded. So the government was bailing out the depositors. Correct. The and bank. society just went, but no, it's, it's, path it's dependent. still coming out it's of my pocket. It's dependent because we did see the banks get bailed out, you know, a decade prior where, you know, like the equity was salvaged and stuff. So like I, I, I understand the vitriol actually. For people that are saying like, oh, here we go again. We're going to bail out the golden no, parachute for them. That's 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 like fine. But if you actually care and you think and you understand the second order and third order effects of how that plays out. Yeah. Well, then you'd immediately say, oh, oh OK, OK, this is different. So you're telling me that if we had not done something. Many regional banks would have gone under on, on Monday, if not this week, right now, today. There would have been bank runs all week. I mean, there were already people hanging out outside of First Financial, First Republic all weekend. It would have been an absolute disaster of a week. So the the the, the startup ecosystem would be dead, like literally dead overnight. So I, I agree with you. I think they could have made a better argument. Like they could have made the argument that on Monday they're going to have half their assets. They're going to cover payroll. They'll be able to pay operating expenses. Within four to six weeks, they'll probably have 90% of it. All said and done, they're probably going to have 94% of it. Big whoop. They take a 6% haircut. And Silicon Valley Bank got 200 billion assets. It's less than 10% 10, 10 of the size of JP Morgan. We have this acronym called Systemically Important Banks. It is not a systemically important bank. And that if you know, if, if I was on that side, I really want to make that argument. To me, that's that's a better argument. You don't focus on who's a depositor. It's just that, like, well, they'll have their money eventually. They had they can tap other areas of credit. FDIC is going to step in. They're going to give them cash to, to function. And in reality, it's not that big. Yeah, the, I think what they missed is that, you know, I had general partners that I've invested with for, for real estate being like, hey, guys, just so you know, game plan is most of our loans are with these regional banks. We're going to literally move all of the cash out 901, you know, Monday morning. And, uh, you know, there, there could have been obviously further further bank runs, but anyway, that, that was, was my take forced, on like that would have been the better argument on on their side. I, I I like that, but it's just sad because it's like forced consolidation to the big four basically. And well, it's like, not. I mean, it's not forced. Like these guys fuck themselves. Like it's not forced. No, it's forced if the government hadn't backstopped Silicon Valley Bank for the depositors, but yeah. the bank themselves put them in this position. Like nobody like put the gun. No, in their no, head I'm, to say, I'm not. Like, I'm not saying. I'm not defending the bank right the bank in any way the bank fucked up no the bank's out like the bank's bank out. fucked up 
But you as a citizen of this country, as an innovator, as a banker, someone who just wants to put your money in a bank, needs to know that when you put your money in the bank, it's going to be there. Well, the idea was always that for up to 250K. Okay, so let's unpack that. So that's where this argument just takes an absolute shit. It's like this idea of a $250,000 FDIC insurance is not even enough for a small business. Yeah, I mean, that was... People are saying like... Well, if you have two point five million, you should have been smart and spread that between you should ten have banks. ten different accounts. Yeah, are you fucking kidding me? But like, that's the nature of it. I mean, like treasury management was a thing, and then people stopped caring about it until it matters, and here now it matters, and it's like, oh yeah. well, if you would have just yeah. had ten different accounts, Armand, do you do you think it's not legitimate to say, hey, Mister Smart Business, you can't just dump a hundred million dollars in cash into this bank and do no due diligence and not have any consequences and taking a 5% haircut seems like a fair, if, if they got three cents back, if they lost three cents on the dollar, would you still be so vehemently like opposed to like the sentiment on Twitter? Like where is the, where is the line where it's like, okay, like, this is like you're being way too careless and this haircut isn't that big. Like it isn't, doesn't moral hazard come into play at some point when we're bailing out even the most minute things for like very egregious, like deposits over like the limits and very egregious lack of due diligence on the company's part. Yeah. I mean, I don't know Roku or whatever, like $400 million, like something like that. Yeah. Like, like, no, I, I get, get it. And I don't like, mind the, why are we, no, I don't mind the haircut. I'm talking about like if they would, <laughs> if everyone would have lost everything beyond 250 K like that would just be, I think that they wouldn't, the number, the number they're going to lose like 250 cents on the dollar is an arbitrary number to begin with. Like why are we yeah. using 250 K like that number is obviously not the real number going forward. You know, like 250K at the time that FDIC made that uh, a rule, how long ago was that? Yeah, I don't even know. Yeah, I mean, that's 30, a good amount for like an ago. everyday like, individual. So nowadays, like 250K means a whole lot different. And like we haven't updated that number. So like, you know, people have way more than that now in a bank. And it's like, well, maybe we need to update that number. And, and they are in the process of that. First, they're going to infinity. But like... I, I I feel you. I feel the sentiment. I Do mean, we it, support innovation in this country but or like, not? Is there the deeper can also question. be uh, like, this is, this is question. the deeper question. But there, there can also How be do like, we treat sixty percent concentration of, of like a group of people? Not to mention the people that work for them. But we're talking about two different things. Yeah. One is like yeah. how how it should be versus how you should be handling the current regime as it exists. And, and you're also talking about you're also talking about a generalized cultural sentiment towards risk takers, people who you're classifying as elites yes. who aren't really. Okay, that's one right, bucket. Versus Fine. like what happened here, the mechanics of the bank. Yeah, yeah. I actually think what you're talking about is an interesting topic. I would be curious if you want to maybe tease it and talk about it a little bit in the next episode. Because I know this is yeah. getting a little long in the tooth. I want to isolate what happened here just to the pure finances of it. And I think where like the David Sachs of the world went awry is like the argument for bailing out Silicon Valley Bank is that if you don't bail them out, you are going to cause like systemic contagion throughout the country that is ultimately going to fuck the little guy. The argument is not like, oh, you have to preserve Silicon Valley innovation because we're so good for this country. 
Because when you say that and then people are like, wait, you were going to lose five cents on the dollar. You kept $400 million in your bank account and I'm bailing you out. That's just a bad argument. That like feeds into people, why people feel this way. They're like, these guys think they're so entitled. Like that's I, I think you made that argument you know? though. I think you made that argument that like contagion yeah. was the, uh, I'm that is the argument. Like once you start in, once you also go like, and also then you, then you lose yeah. those people because like they don't my, buy into that. My buddy doesn't have a startup. I mean, he's, he's been a profitable cash flowing company for a long time. They had their money there and he's like, yeah. we're just texting on Sunday. He's like, game plan is move all the cash out again, yeah. Monday morning. Um, can I mention one other group that I think uh, should be like washed of this earth and we should maybe just hit the reset <laughs> button on? Yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, the ratings agencies. I mean, flashback to like 2000, 2000, 2007, 2008. Oh, I mean, these guys were the people like, I mean, I just can't stop thinking about scenes from the movie, The Big Short, which Eric still hasn't seen. So fucking yell at him in the comments. That the, Is that a good movie? Or? That the CFA has yeah, not it, seen The Big like, Short. Honestly, this is one of the most egregious things I've ever encountered in my whole life. Eric has a few of those. <laughs> Is that movie good? Oh my God. We're going to sit here and watch yeah, it after we record. <laughs> anyway, these are the same people who rated those, those shit uh, mortgage-backed securities and, and bundlings of securities as like AAA. Well, hey, here they show up again. Still the same people around. Moody's, Standard & Poor's rating, you know, uh, Silicon Valley Bank. Like, I think it was like Triple A minus. I mean, that's a, that's a good story, but then you have Ryan Gosling out there like glorifying it. Like, no, he's gonna he's gonna pile up. This, they're gonna make another one of this, and he's gonna pile up the Django pile again of all these banks who had these long well, don't this worry, duration. Don't worry, they, they downgraded them. Oh, they downgraded they them. Like, downgraded a day them. Yeah, after after, after the so stock price you know. depreciated like, by seventy percent. And I just don't. Like, there's a lot of uh, uh, vitriol being passed around, and I don't think it's enough on these rating agencies because if they can't get that right, why the fuck do they even exist? Like, why are they here? And and let's say, you know, as a depositor, it, it, it may be know. too complex to Let analyze the balance it. sheet and duration mismatch of the bank. And so there are these third parties that exist that do the due diligence and give you a letter grade and let you let, know. Let AI do it. That's a good take for, yeah. by Armand because I think like uh, when you do humans doing service-based yeah, businesses, bullshit. your job is to not get fired. Yeah. Well, especially when the incentives are aligned, their clients are the banks and are, so I don't know. Anyway, I just, uh, before we wrap up, I think uh, we should just specifically direct a little hatred towards, yes, towards those it. guys. Yeah, seriously. Like, <laughs> why do they even exist? They exist to capture. They exist to cap. They're just like, it's just regulatory capture. Just like, oh, just exploit this bullshit and we'll just insert <laughs> ourselves here and collect a fat paycheck and add no value to the system and actually inadvertently create systemic risk because we give people a false sense of comfort with right. one. Yeah, it's, it's great. Awesome. All right. That was great. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Drop a comment. Let us know your thoughts. Let us know what to bring more. Hop in the Discord. Let's talk. And um, drink some dry farm wines. Peace. Bye, Later. guys. Mm.